Hello and welcome to We Are Human First. We're so glad to have you join us again today for a very important topic across the generations, reflections on leadership and who we are and how we developed our leadership, whether it's at home, at work, in our families, in our communities, in our religious institutions. And I am joined today by my wonderful colleague, Dr. Paula Christian Kleiger, and my other wonderful colleague, Sarah Kleiger. And what's so wonderful about today is that we can talk across generations, which is very unusual, even though as we ourselves had to look up where are we on these generations, (laughs) who's what, None of us are exactly anything, but we do find that two of us are baby boomers in different, uh, about 10-year span apart or so, and uh, millennial. But more importantly, we are all very much excited to have you join us and think about, as we talk, how this might help you reflect on yourself. Absolutely. So where shall we begin? Well, it's interesting. As we were talking about being leaders, for me, I've often, because I am a millennial technically, and I have a baby face to many people, I often feel strange being in a leadership role at first because I I feel like people look at me and think I'm very young. And it's very interesting feeling that way and being in a leadership role and then working through those kind of discomfort feelings that I'm getting when I'm approaching working. Mm -hmm. So that was just the first thing that came to mind when I was thinking of my role as a leader. I love that. I think one of the things when we go and do our organizational work, I often talk to people about who I was as a leader when I was 30, starting my family, working full time, Mm -hmm. and how I conducted myself and the mistakes that I made and how through, you know, developing my own internal practice of knowing that changed dramatically how I worked with others. And so that's such an important observation. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting hearing both of you speak when I, as the oldest one in the room, um, as the baby boomer, what comes to mind for me in a way is what women were doing as leaders um, when I was born. Women led the household. Women were the homemakers. And it's interesting that often I would hear my dad, who was a physician, come home and say things like, okay, I'm no longer the boss. Your mom's the boss. (laughs) And she was fabulous uh, in that role. And yet, through the years of becoming and growing and developing myself, I began to take on a very different kind of leadership role that crosses over into areas where now we see men. And I'm spending a lot more time working with men in the organizational work we've done. So it's interesting to think about what you brought up is that we begin in one place observing leaders in our lives, Mm. whether it be a grandmother or an aunt or a father or an uncle, and those inform us and set us on a trajectory, so to speak. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And that's interesting, too, because obviously Dr. Kleiger is is my mother and I grew up watching you working really hard and really showing me how we as women can be leaders and we can do anything that we set our minds to. And so I think that was a really powerful experience that I had growing up. But I also know that not everyone 
does get that same experience, but they definitely have been shaped based upon those people that they grew up with in their homes. You know, that's so important, too, because one of the things I think all of us, the three of us see, even the clients we might work with, when women might come in and they really are brilliant, but at the same time, they want a family. Mm. At the same time, they want to express all aspects of themselves. And our attempts to, I mean, even very young women trying to carve out a life and a career for themselves. And we listen and try to understand how to help them feel like all those aspects of themselves are valuable and can be expressed. And it isn't easy. And for those of you who are listening in, I'm sure you all have your own experiences in terms of how to balance all those different roles and Obviously, the three of us are women, so we're talking from a women's perspective today to some degree, even though we have obviously appreciation of working with many leaders who are men as well. But I remember when my daughter was young and I worked full time and many of her friends didn't have parents that were working full time. And so she would be very, she'd say, you know, how come you can't dress like the other mothers? Hmm. You know, why aren't you wearing those, you know? comfortable sweatpants and things. And, you know, she was, you know, it's, it's her way of saying, how come you're not here more? Mm-hmm. Why do you have to go somewhere else? You know, that balance is, is hard. And so we want to do everything right at the same time, but, you know, we do have to look deep what is working and what's not working. You know, that's really interesting because that's now making me think about my experience of being in my thirties and, You know, I have lots of friends who are in couples and they're women and they are at that point in their lives where they really don't know if they want to start a family or really settle down because they're at that age where their careers are kind of getting going. And so Mm -hmm. we are at this point, we come to certain points in our lives, I think, where we kind of have to make those difficult decisions. And so that example that you shared, Lori, just reminded me of where I am right now in my own personal journey. Mm -hmm. And that brings to mind a very uh, personal story that relates to you, Sarah. I remember very distinctly when I was working at the university and I had become tenured. I don't know if you remember this. You were so little. You were about five years old. And you would come into the room where I was working on papers, grading papers, long hours. You'd come in out of your bed and you'd snuggle up next to me and want to talk and want to relate and want kisses and hugs and stuff like that. And I'd give them, but then want you to go back to bed. Then I think one morning, you would do this a lot. And one morning I thought about this and I said, something's not quite right. I came to you and I said, I don't know if you remember this at all. I came to you and I said, well, Sarah, if you wanted me to give up something, what would that be? And you said, give up school and teaching. Yeah, there it is again. (laughs) Guess what? I gave it up. Mm -hmm. Because it was so clear to me that in that moment, it was so important to be and spend time with you. And that I had to choose. And I think that's part of what we could talk about, too, that Mm. there does come a time we can't have everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe we can have most things over time, but maybe there is a period of time when we do, we must 
be able to choose and be okay with it. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. But I also, you know, I'm also thinking about the fact that a lot of these hard decisions that we have, sometimes it comes from, you know, what society tells us we need to be doing also. And so that's another, I think, added pressure that we're feeling as well. And sometimes again, so as we reflect on, on all of this is that we have to, like you're saying, make choices, but the choices sometimes are that we have to stay with things that are difficult, that take us away from things that we really ideally would love to be doing. So sometimes we don't always have the choices we want in terms of having to be able to do something like you were talking about, Paula. And we have to stay with things that aren't easy and still find balance with the you know rest of our lives. And that's where we have to really look at. I, I always tell people, they say, oh, I'm very independent. Well, the truth of it is none of us are really independent. We're very interdependent, which helps us to be more independent And so Mm -hmm. as you reflect on yourself and your leadership and your lives personally and professionally, look at that. Look at that interdependence that allows you to do the things you want to do. Absolutely. That's a really great point, Lori, because it also makes me feel as a newer leader, as I work in schools for a nonprofit, I supervise a few people. And I've been, since I'm a newer leader, I'm definitely in that stage of kind of figuring out what kind of leader I want to be. And one thing I really figured out very quickly was delegation and really using my team and going to people for help. And I think that's something that has allowed me to still stay grounded and do some of the things that I want to do, like you just said, so I don't feel like it's all on me to take on. Which really brings us back to, you know, in a way, our self-study model and the relational aspects of that, where we not only get to know ourselves, but we value getting to know others and collaboration and practicing collaboration and the idea of even sharing power. So important. And being able to know, like you're both saying, when to ask, to actually look to ask, look Mm. to find ways to bring others on board with what we're doing and what we're attempting to create or pull off. The one thing that you you said, and I want to go back to that, is self-study. And we use a self-study model in our practice for our individual clients, for our families, for our organizational clients. But when I myself began studying the model, because it's not like this comes to you, Um, through your formal education, this is a process of you investigating you and looking at all the facets of you. And so it's so important, the things that you talked about, because being able to work alongside other people, collaboration for the alignment, for the ability to hear others that are not saying the same things that you are saying that may enrich things really is the pivotal place that um, we are all in today in our country and in with um, our different places that we're living and, you know, working and all of that. So that all really comes to mind as we talk about this. And it also helps with the getting of different perspectives and experiences. And I've definitely learned a lot more from going to others and just hearing what they have to say or what they have to offer. You know, one of the things that came up in early research that I and, and work that I did with a pretty big company was 
they were having difficulties, um, their leaders working with people. And so much of it had to do with exposure, exposing people to each other and their backgrounds and their lifestyles, and also conflict, mm-hmm. that conflict can be useful. Mm-hmm. Different perspectives, they're not going to always be the same, but can lead to some uncomfortable feelings. And I think part of what I'm learning as a leader, and I'm probably echoing what you both are thinking, is that if we can stay with those uncomfortable feelings, too, when someone provides a different perspective, then we will grow as leaders and we will grow as individuals first. We will gain a sense of more self-discovery. But anything we take on, we will lead in. Mm -hmm. We will take charge of ourselves and the situation and learn from others as well. I wonder if for those of you listening in again, if there's, I would almost recommend a little homework assignment as you're hearing us talk about this. You know, what holds you back from hearing others? Think about that. When we talk about self-study, that that's how you kind of sync up with yourself. Are you triggered from something from your past, past experience, not necessarily professional? You know, how do conflicts affect you from a, a body perspective? This is something, uh, Paula, that, you know, in the work we do with organizations and Sarah, what I love about your contribution is the experiential exercises that really help people feel mm. that peace. And I think that's something that we need to help our listeners think about. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause when we put things, you know, physically in our bodies, we're able to really externalize some of those things that we've been holding on to. And like you said, kind of tapping into what's triggering for us so we can move past it and just recognize it in, the, in our work. What's really great is when, uh, at least my experience, is when people learn or they're practicing a kind of mindfulness of, you know, how they're responding both mentally and emotionally and even in the body, and then they can put words to it. Right. And share it. Wow. Mm-hmm. I mean... <laughs> Perfect. I, I, I have a good story I can actually put into this because I met with someone recently and they said, you know, I decided that I would go in and I would just sort of be mindful and present. And, you know, things went better during that day. And I went home and I felt better. And I told my partner, you know, today was a pretty good day. And they said, well, what, what made it different than the other days? Well, I was just really connected. Mm-hmm. And that's the piece that we all miss. Mm. It's that mindlessness that we allow ourselves to go into. And so to be a leader, to be reflective, we can't be mindless. Exactly. That's so right on. It's what we've been saying really about being intentional behind really continuing this internal work and the self-study work that you've been talking about. Because if you don't put that intention out there, then you're just never going to do it. And so I think continuing to do that every single day will allow for that growth and revelation. And, you know, one of the things we're learning is that, you know, as you engage in that mindful practice, one begins to solve our problems from the inside out. And we also figure out ways to be a creative leader wherever we find ourselves. We relax. And even if something isn't clear to us yet, we give it time. We give ourselves time to evolve. So... This 
process of getting to know ourselves and evolving over time is, in my mind, just the most precious thing we can do. So that's the perfect place to close today. We hope that you will all continue to engage in your own personal study. We hope that our call to action in terms of some of this homework is something that you consider sharing with us. You can go to our website and uh, share a thought about this. We would love to hear from you. It helps us to engage and really make these podcasts more meaningful, which is our goal, obviously. So I want to thank my wonderful colleagues, uh, Dr. Paula Christian Kleiger and Sarah Kleiger today. And we hope you'll join us again for We Are Human First. Thank you very much for coming. Thanks, everyone. 